Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Quarantine Break Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Ward, and this is the Socially Distanced Tea Break with Extraordinary People. So, episode 14, and by the looks of it, we've come a long way together. And yet, as I look at my Fitbit from the past year, I've gone absolutely nowhere. Fortunately, today's episode is great, and it's with chef, broadcaster, and restaurateur, Simon Rimmer. Going past the sites that are closed is quite heartbreaking. You know, the same with anybody's business. It's not just my business, it's not just me. You know, whatever your business is, if you if your premises are closed and you don't have the people and that and that whole kind of beautiful kind of business that you had it isn't functioning, it's very, very hard to take. Simon has been on my wish list for this podcast since day one. And I was so thrilled he agreed to do this. Because not only is Simon brilliant on telly, he's also a restaurateur. And I really wanted to ask him about his experiences of that during this pandemic. And we'll get onto that all very, very soon. But first, as always, I started by asking Simon how he takes his tea. If I have the time to have a proper cup of tea, then I like it in a pot. I like it Earl Grey um, and then just a little splash of milk. But I don't mind whether I go milk first or tea first. That doesn't worry me at all. But I do like a hot mug as well. Oh, see, now I've not asked the chef this before, possibly because it's a stupid question. But obviously, when you cook for someone, there's this expectation it's going to be good. I imagine there's that bit of pressure on you. But when you make a cup of tea, do people expect that to be the best tea they've ever had? Mm, You see, I have enough pressure in my own head about whenever I make anything (laughs) for anybody. Now you've added tea into that list. Because the thing about the thing about chefs is when you work in a kitchen, you're just grateful if someone brings you a brew, whether it be tea, coffee, warm ribena, you really, really don't care just getting a brew given to you. and, And so it also means that chefs, generally speaking, will drink any kind of drink warm particularly in any kind of format in reality which is why i sort of said if i have the time that's what i like for my tea you briefly touched on your tea recipe there and we are calling it a recipe i'm determined to get a recipe out of this podcast <laughs> um so talk me through how you make that perfect tea uh well i'd warm the pot so um it depends on my mood as to whether i think i'm gonna have uh, a lot of tea or i just want a a sort of a cup and a half if it's a cup and a half i've got a little gray teapot which is sort of one of mm. those kind of nice little 
shaped Scandi ones. And that that's kind of pretty. It gives me a cup and a oh, half. Lovely. Um, and if not, I've got a bigger one that I've got a big daft, sort of like a granny flowery teapot that I quite like. But the principle is the same. Uh, boiling water into the teapot, swirl it around, put the lid on, leave it for a couple of minutes. Um, then tip that away, put the tea bags in. Uh, and then I obviously, because I'm a poncy middle-class middle-aged man, <laughs> I, have a, I have a tap that gives me constant boiling water. I don't have a kettle anymore. Uh, fill it up. Let it then also, as I fill the teapot up, I'll also fill up my mug and let that warm as well. Let it sit for a couple of minutes and then uh, tip it away. And then the, 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 the sound of tea pouring from a teapot into a mug or a cup is one of the nicest sounds, I think, on it's God's beautiful, earth. beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. So, so nice. I'm glad that's been the first recipe on this show. You know, we all went through that sourdough phase. No one wants another sourdough recipe, but a tea recipe, a really good tea recipe. And again, I'm calling it a recipe. Well, see, the other thing you could do, uh, more so with coffee than tea, but it does work with tea as well, is if you put um, a cinnamon stick in the teapot, it just gives you, it takes your tea to a slightly different place. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, we've learned something on this podcast already. I mean, we could end it here and yeah. that, that's, that would be a great yeah. one. Yeah. But Simon, thank you for joining me today. When I did the final episode of the last run, it was the end of June. And Simon, let me paint you a picture of what June was like, because it does feel like that was about 8 million years ago now. Yeah. Jake Humphrey was on the show. We were talking about getting our first haircuts in months. Britain was planning to meet people again. And of course, just days later, Liverpool would win the league. It felt like a time full of optimism. Yeah, it did. It's funny, though, because that whole thing about us winning the league, I remember when the first lockdown happened in March and there was talk of the season being abandoned. Now, I, mm. I've i waited 30 years for Liverpool to win the league. You know, I was just a, I was just a, a young man then. Uh, and the thought that they might have abandoned the season was terrifying. And then, of course, then there was the talk that, well, if they abandon it, we'll just give it to Liverpool. I think, oh, the grief that we would continually get as Liverpool fans then. Then, of course, when they won the league, yeah, it was fantastic. But I must admit, it was slightly bittersweet. I, I loved watching Jordan lift it. But because I go the game a lot, not being there, having waited 30 years, was also kind of pretty tough, really. Um, and then, you know, Jürgen saying, and again, coming back to that time of June, Jürgen saying, as soon as we can, we'll have a, we'll have a procession around the streets, blah, blah, blah. That is never going to happen now, is it? You, you know, we know that that will never happen. If Liverpool don't win the league this year and... God willing, in September, things will be a bit different. But that would be weird, wouldn't it? Yeah, very, very weird. We, we, yeah, we haven't won the league on this season. And then we do a celebration <laughs> for the previous season. Yeah, I, I, I just, yeah. And, I, and also, at the moment, I, I can't see us winning the league. I don't want to be a the pessimistic Liverpool fan, but I, I think it's going to be tough. I remember when Liverpool won the league and it was, it was, it was a great moment, but also crushing. Since about February, I'd been planning that weekend and what that was going to be. I was going to be in the city. It was going to be incredible. I had my hotel ready <laughs> and then, and then, yeah, this thing happened. I know it's not the most important thing that's happened in the past 10 months, but Oh, I really. Every now and again, I get a bit angry about that. Yeah, do you know what? And, and I do as well. And and I, I and it's that thing that's quite difficult to say out loud because, like, what mm. you, you're getting angry and upset about kind of football, which really isn't that important. And I kind of get that, but it's such a core through my existence, you know. And you know, I'm 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 57 now, and I am still as passionate and get as angry and upset <laughs> when we don't win as I did when I was seven. And I think you know that 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 is that whole thing, and it, it's ah oh, yeah, and it, and even now, like you know, when we're talking now, Liverpool are playing tonight, and they're playing Burnley, and I'm anxious because yeah. they've not been playing very well. 
and really, really anxious that we that we might not win tonight. And I think I'm a grown man. I've got bigger <laughs> responsibilities and bigger worries at the moment, but it's there. Yeah. It's at the forefront of my thought process today. June was obviously that incredibly optimistic time. We're in January now. My hair's grown again. And as you say, Liverpool can't score at the moment. A lot happened in that middle bit. Sitting here today, how, how are you feeling about everything? Pretty rubbish, actually. Um, the first lockdown, I think, like everybody, I didn't think it was going to last. I thought, you know, I've six weeks of this. Oh, the weather's quite nice. I'm, I'm quite glad I'm having a bit of a reset. Yeah. Um, but this one, I'm finding really, really tough. Um, you know, I, I have 12 restaurants. So we have all of those that are either closed or doing a little bit of takeaway. Um, we've already had to lay off over 100 people. So wow. I've told 100 people that they no longer have a job. Um, I think I'm very fortunate that Sunday brunch has continued to broadcast because that's given me at least two days focus every single week um but on a day-to-day basis I, I i struggle a little bit you know i'm used to being so frantically busy i always used yeah. to like the fact that if, i'm a proper list writer every day i would write a list and if i had 10 things on the list if i got seven of them done that was a good day but then the next we would go to the next day this and so on now my list consists of three things so i'm thinking right how do I stretch these three things out when I, because I, because I get up early every morning. I get up at about six thirty every day. How do I stretch these three things yeah. from six thirty in the morning until bedtime? And I, I'm finding it tough. I'm finding that you know my, I think my, I, I don't think I've, I've got any kind of serious men, mental health issues, but you see that kind of that constant battle with yourself yeah. to kind of because I'm a very positive person to stay upbeat and not allow yourself to kind of to just fester and sit in front of the TV watching garbage really I think for me when London moved into tier three in December that was the moment I think it really really hit me hard because it sort of felt I think up until that point that we were pushing that boulder up a hill and that we were getting to the top of the hill. The vaccine had been announced. It felt, again, a time for optimism. And then we got to the top of the hill and it just we just all realised there was a bigger mountain behind it. Yeah, huge. And I, I think it's, and I think that's one of the big problems, isn't it? You don't, you can't see an end to this. You know, we're, we're all guessing. We're completely mm. and utterly guessing our future on big and small things. You know, on the small things on, on the face of it is the ability to kind of just go and sit down, have a cup of coffee somewhere and read the paper, which, you know, is, is a real kind of treat to all the bigger things about kind of like, you know, our mental health, our children's education, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you think, okay, will it be March? Will it be April? Will it be May? If the lockdown sort of stops in March, how will it stop? Is it going to be the same for everybody? You know, and and I think it's that that I'm sitting there going, I can't, I can't imagine the day, for example, coming back to football, which I'm sure we'll do a lot over the, <laughs> over the next hour. I can't imagine the day when I could be at Anfield and there's 60,000 people in there or go and see a gig or sit in a busy restaurant, or sit in a busy pub. I can't see where that yeah. can happen. I think that's really tough. Going back to that first lockdown, because I think, yeah, it's felt like we've been pushing boulders constantly, constantly through the year. I think firstly, with all that boulder pushing, I'd hope I'd look less doughy. Thank you, lockdown. (laughs) I did start to reach a point where I'd sort of gone through my mountain sadness, also a good name for a podcast, um, and I'd accepted the situation again. But yeah, this January has felt really, really tough, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. I I mean, the weather, it clearly makes a big difference as well. You know, again, it sounds sort of very shallow to say that, but, you know, in the first lockdown, you think, well, I'll sit in the garden, I'll do some work in the garden. I'll kind of, you know, I'll have a little nap in the garden. Oh, I've got a bit of a tan. This is quite nice. I'll go for a walk. Mm. It's sunny. Whereas, you know, last night we had like, you know, a snowstorm in Manchester and and it it is so much harder. Um, And I think just trying to stay 
positive is, is so, so tricky. And also, I think because we know what's happening a little bit now, but we don't know when it's going to end, coming back to that, you know, I think you look at it and go, this is so tough, you know. And yeah. all the things that on the face of it maybe don't matter, like going out for dinner, going to a pub, going to see a live gig, going to see football, but they do, you know, they're, they're the essence of our lives, really. You know, and of course, things like, you know, people's health and, and, and people staying alive is the most important thing. But as human beings, we're made up of so many component parts and the bits that make you complete are, are, are the real ones. And things like, you know, I've hardly seen my parents in the last 12 months. You know, they're, they're yeah. 87 and 83. And, you know, they're kind of, they're, they've isolated all this time. You think, this, it's so tough. You know, these are their, these are their golden years and they're missing out on, on, on times that they should be having fun in. I have to say, I feel exactly the same way about this as you, Simon. Christmas, I think for that reason, was really tough this year. Yeah. Obviously restrictions came in and it changed all our plans in a lot of ways but we had accepted quite early on that we weren't going to meet up for christmas that we were just going to do things like video chats we were quite fortunate actually because just before first lockdown we got my dad one of these devices where he could video chat with us i say video chat it's in the same way as all 82 year olds use video chat (laughs) we just get brief glimpses of either the top of his forehead or maybe a bit of his chin but like you say you know you you kind of want to spend that time with the people that you love and christmas felt like such a time when you really really wanted to be with people yeah i mean my my mum and dad they it was almost relief when we said to them listen we really don't think that we should take a chance on this so we we were able to see them in the morning and it, even though it was cold then we were all in the garden and they were in the conservatory at the back and then we almost had like a the line that we passed over presents like we were exchanging hostages yeah. kind of thing and, uh, <laughs> and my mum every year she makes the most amazing trifle and it's like it's a high days and holiday thing but the christmas one is always the best one so we had um champagne and trifle for breakfast on christmas morning did that with my mum and dad then we came back to manchester and it, it, it actually worked out pretty well but i think because we structured it and i felt like you know we'd actually had a really sort of nice bit of quality time with them but yeah it, it was tough christmas christmas felt like i i, I felt as well that i got angry about christmas um mm. as a as a as a restaurateur i got really angry that we were forced to close and then yeah. um i go down to london on a saturday to do sunday brunch and then i got down there in the afternoon and thought oh, you know what? i'm just gonna nip into john lewis just across from the, the hotel i go and buy some christmas cards and i got really angry because my industry has invested time money and advice on being covid friendly covid secure mm. looking after customers looking after my staff etc cetera, etc cetera. and i went into all the retail outlets and they're there where everybody is packed in hardly anybody's wearing a mask you might go in there and pick up an item of clothing put it down someone else then picks it up and there's no there's no level of kind of social distance there's no level of kind of being covid friendly and you think it, it, it seemed that we, we we were pushing towards Christmas Day. To hell with Christmas Day. It's one day, you know. And you think now we're almost paying for that completely like time. You know, the photographs of every single major city of having all the streets and the pavements packed with people. And yet my industry was closed, which was in the main was COVID secure, COVID friendly with every single bit of kind of advice and protection that, that's been set up for a great cost. You briefly touched on the cost there and the cost for hospitality just to kind of get their places up to code has been immense, hasn't it? Like I remember going to pubs in November and you could see that businesses had invested quite a lot of money 
in things like outdoor heaters or screens inside restaurants to keep people a bit more socially distant or things like taking tables out. And the cost is huge, isn't it? Yeah, huge, huge. And double-edged as well, you know, that you, you, you said there about like taking tables out. When you take the tables out, you lose covers, you lose covers, you lose income. And that's done because you want to operate on a, on a safe basis. And certainly all the feedback that we were getting for all of my sites was how secure people felt being in those sites. And you think, you know, that that's kind of what we did and the amount of training that, that we put into people. And it just drove, and I, and I still get it. I actually wouldn't mind the fact that the hospitality industry was shut down if the same were true of uh, retail. But it felt like, right, let's shut hospitality so we can open retail. Retail that didn't abide by those rules. And in defense of retail, it's almost impossible to do that. But as a result, you think, well, and hospitality was told, well, the spike has happened because of hospitality. Well, it really didn't, you know, and, and the, the evidence is sort of there to show that like 3% of all cases came from hospitality, whereas mm. something like 22% came from education from retail. So you think hospitality was a very easy target to, to yeah. stick into and, and still is really. So going back to this lockdown, and I briefly touched on it in the last episode, but there hasn't really been a thing in this lockdown, has there? I suppose we've not had a Tiger King. We haven't even had sourdough, Simon. I mean, that was huge, wasn't it, in lockdown one? That was massive. <laughs> and I know I was slagging off sourdough earlier in the episode, but we just haven't had that thing, that sort of unifying thing that kind of brings us all together, have we? <laughs> but as we're talking sourdough, did you kind of get pulled into all of that or is that a bit of a busman's holiday for a chef? Yeah, I mean, funny enough though, actually, I think that since since the whole of this, I think I've fallen in love with cooking again i've never fallen out of love with it but i think mm. it's almost like i've renewed my vows a little bit um and i'm really loving kind of cooking at home so uh, the whole sourdough thing i mean I, I i continually took the mickey out the sourdough thing you know <laughs> I, i've constantly called it london bread um so you know it's the whole thing that everybody in the south was making sourdough and then banana bread but i think it was good and i, and I think like this time we haven't had any of that because it felt like that first time we go I'm going to do something that I've not done before. You know, I am going to do this. I'm going to do that. This time I think I can't be bothered. You know, I know yeah. my, my, my wife and her friends, every single Friday, they would have uh, a bit of a Zoom meeting. They'd have a bit of a giggle, have a few glasses of wine. And this time they've all said, I can't be bothered. You know, I, I, can't, be, I can't be bothered staring at a screen for two hours again. Um, so I, I think there is that whole thing where everyone's just gone. I mean, it might well be. That you know that, that, that there is a tom, that there is a sourdough, that, that, that there is a banana bread going on, but we're all a bit like, yeah, whatever, yeah, can't can't really be bothered. And weirdly, I have to say, the thing that lockdown has affected most in me is my relationship with cooking. Like pre-lockdown, absolutely loved cooking, but even now, the spirit just hasn't quite hasn't quite returned. And it's not been on the second one. It's sort of persisted. I think. I I, th I think it's fourfold for me. So it's planning what to eat a week at a time. Yeah. I try to shop locally, but then that takes twice as long because you're not going to a supermarket. You're going to independent retailers to try and you know support them, but it does take a, a lot longer. Yeah. And then there's the fact that I'm essentially cooking in my workplace, which is weird. <laughs> and then the final thing is obviously restaurants still aren't open because that gave us some kind of respite 
from the daily grind of cooking or thinking what you wanted to cook. Even if you get takeaways, you're still eating at home. You're yeah. still probably washing up the plates afterwards. It's it doesn't feel like a treat anymore. No, I, and it's funny that that is the biggest thing. I think I miss that more than even as someone who owns restaurants. I miss going out for dinner. I think you're right. I think that well, that spontaneity of eating is the thing. You know, you you come in with the best intention that you get it right. I'm going to cook tonight, and you go. Should go out. I can't really be bothered. Mm. And that how lovely that is, you know, to be to to have that luxury of doing it. To not be able to think, oh, okay, what can I order off Deliveroo? If I'm not gonna <laughs> cook. Or you know, right, okay. Oh, I bought that chicken thing that I'm gonna cook. So I don't really want chicken, but I bought it, so I'm gonna have to cook it. Yeah, I think I think there is an element to that. I mean, I I think fortunately I've not I've not really had that because I over the years I very rarely get the chance to kind of cook for the family on a regular basis. And I have kind of yeah. enjoyed it. But don't get me wrong, I still will get the days. Right, for example, last night uh, for my dinner, I had a bowl of brown flakes with some sliced banana on it because I couldn't be bothered doing it. <laughs> that, that, that was what I had. Um, and, it, it, you know, it, it happens to everyone. The previous two days, I did loads of kind of really nice stuff. Last night, I saw, oh, God, I can't be bothered. I really can't. But yeah, and the thing, it, it's, it's not the biggest thing you'll find, that almost with every part of your life, I have so much more can't be bothered about myself. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say, doing this podcast again, that's sort of my reaction to try and pull myself out of that funk. Because we had that period, as we said earlier, in the summer, where things were just a bit brighter, weren't they? And doing a podcast when I could go to the pub or sit outside was honestly the last thing <laughs> on my mind and then tier three happened and all that stuff and it was just a really depressing time and as you say couldn't be bothered with anything yeah so when this lockdown happened that's what i sort of wanted to try and do with this podcast coming back was to try and shake myself up again really because you can just keep spiraling can't you yeah, and I'm finding that hard. You know, I, I said before that, you know, Sunday brunch is, is really sort of being my my saviour. I mean, I'm spending plenty of time having meetings in the restaurants that are operating takeaway. But if I'm honest, I'm doing it to get myself out of the house. You yeah. know, there's, there's not a huge amount of necessity for me to be there. But just going there and interacting with with the team there kind of feels like you're actually living a life a little bit. But even that, there are days I'm going, oh, I can't really be well, and I'm forcing myself to do it. Um, and I, I don't, I, you know, and I, I guess you feel the same as me. And in, in, in overall terms, I think I'm very lucky. You know, I think that I've got it absolutely fine. You know, I'm still in work. I have space outside so I can do stuff. I'm fit and well and healthy, all those kind of things. So, you know, so are my family. Um, and you, you, you beat yourself up a little bit going, get, pull yourself together and do it. But you can't help what happens that's the whole thing is yeah. when you when you spiral into that in that ennui of just being fed up of everything it's very hard to break out of it no matter the fact that you know in general terms you're all right it's still really hard to kind of like you know to break out of it i think i'm right in saying that your your kids have would have, would have been old enough so you would have avoided homeschooling oh yeah i'm very glad that yeah so my son hamish is 17 so he's he's Got not got A levels this summer, and then my daughter Flo is twenty three, so she she graduated last summer. Um, but it's been it's been tough for her because her plan was that she wanted to go travelling for a year. She wants to go to South America, so almost her last year at uni, rather than trying to get a job and get on a career path, it was about right. You know what? What I'm going to do is I'm going to just work in in hospitality, work as many hours as I can, get some good money, save, 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 go to South America. So of course, both sides of that 
could no longer happen. One, she yeah. couldn't work in hospitality save anyway, and there's absolutely no way that she can go to South America. So it's been tough for her. And then for Hamish, he is now in a situation where he's got his A-levels, but he hasn't got his A-levels. I mean, how on earth do you motivate yourself? You know, you and I are saying as adults, I'm struggling to motivate myself. If you're if you're a 17-year-old boy who's sitting at home, you can't see your mates, you can't see football, which he, which he adores and plays all the time. And you're there going, yeah, okay, but I've got my A-levels, but I haven't got my A-levels. Yeah, I'm, I'm really game for this. Whoa, bring it on. It's tough. I do sometimes wonder, Simon, what the long-term effect is going to be on that generation because... Let's be honest, exams are rubbish, right? They are just rubbish. Yeah. But at the same time, it is a tangible thing, isn't it? It's a tangible thing that you can point to and say, this is something I did. This is a record of my achievement. Whereas this generation won't have that. They'll have a version of it, but they won't have the thing that they've been working towards for so long. But as you say as well, this is the time when you have your last day at term, you have that last big blowout before you go to university or you don't go to university, you start your first job or you go traveling. And this entire generation have missed out on these vital experiences, haven't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and this generation, you know, there's years and years of it. You know, you think primary school kids are kind of missing out on that, that lovely kind of interaction. And, and it's tough. And, you know, I'm not being... I, outwardly critical of anybody it's a necessity we're in a global pandemic for goodness sake millions yeah. of people are dying and that and that is the thing and you, you know you, you do have to kind of keep that in reality and also i you know i look at it sometimes and think i can criticize the government all day long i'm particularly angry about the way they've treated my industry but if you look globally i think with the exception of new zealand i don't think there's a country in the world that is allowed to to show their their disinterest their distaste what's going on Every country is slagging off their governments because no one's ever been here before. You know, it's a lose-lose situation, isn't it? It's the, it's the best time ever to be in opposition, I would say, if you're a politician. And how are you doing on fitness at the moment, Simon? I've got to say, I'm doing okay-ish. My wife had recently wanted to do Couch to 5K, so I've been doing that with her, and that's been quite nice. But she works in the NHS, so there's a lot of days where she's not here and I'm on my own. And those are the days where I've really, really struggled to find any kind of motivation. How about you? How are you finding it? I, I mean, I, I box. That's kind of my thing. I normally box three times a week. Um, so I'm finding that really, really hard. Again, in terms of like what it's doing to my sort of mental health, I'm finding that really difficult. I do something every single day except Sunday. I get up in the morning and I exercise straight away. Um, so I'm doing stuff and I'm kind of I'm working as, as hard as I can. Um, but it's not the same. I'm missing that kind of, I'm missing that ridiculous feeling that you get when you exercise really hard, that the endorphins kick in and you, and you're absolutely shattered, but that feeling of achievement, you know, come back to what I say about kids, that, that whole thing, oh, you know what, I really, you know, it's nine o'clock in the morning. I've like, I've done 12 rounds of sparring and I feel, I feel on top of the world. I'll, 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 you know, I'll, I'll take the world on. Um, so yeah, I, that, that's really, really hard. Definitely. I used to do a lot of classes and I don't know what it says about me, but I miss someone just yelling at me, telling me to do something. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, well, that's the same. I think the same with my box. I'm doing stuff under my own steam and I'm doing some online classes. But, you know, if I don't fancy doing a certain exercise, then I won't do it. You know, it's not like, so, like say, someone said they go like, get out and do 10 more press-ups. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's, 
it's hard and it? it's just like it's another step of lethargy i mean joe wicks obviously became the nation's pe teacher at one point did you ever think about becoming the nation's home ec teacher God, no. No, I mean, I've done, I've done plenty of stuff online. Um, it's funny, though, because I'm, I'm always sort of, I think I'm always conscious of the fact that I think when you are in the public eye, I think on one hand, you want to feel that you, oh, this sounds so poncy, that you want to kind of help people and say, look, you know, you know let, let's do this, blah, blah, blah. But on the other side, I, I don't want to be the guy that's wearing the hero's cap and say, look how great I am. You know, so I think there's a there's a balance there. And I'm not criticizing Joe because I think what Joe did was amazing. But I think for someone like me, who is, you know, I'm moderately just below kind of Z in, in celebrity letters kind of thing, then you sort of think, I don't, I, I don't think anybody really needs to see me every day enthusiastically kind of making my own hummus and, and banana bread kind of thing. So, <laughs> you know, I've, I've done, I've, I've, I've done so if I'm cooking something, I think, oh, this is quite a nice dish. I'll kind of do it. Or equally, I'll do it if I'm bored. I go, do you know what? I've got an hour to kill. I'll film myself doing this because I will. So no, I, I've, I've, I have shied away from it. Um, I mean, my agent keeps saying to me, you should do more of those little things that you do really good. I go, yeah, but I don't want to look like some kind of tosser that's telling the world how to live. <laughs> if not cooking, then maybe a bit of dancing. You could sort of get oh, those Jesus. shoes back out again. Jesus. Did you, if you saw me on Strictly, then you know that would be a really, really bad thing to get anybody. I suppose it made people laugh. What did you make of the recent series? Do you think you would have enjoyed your time on the show as much in sort of pandemic Strictly? Um, I think... I, I felt for all the the, the the people that did Pandemic Strictly because it's mm. one of the greatest experiences I think you can ever have. I, there are very few things in your life where every single element of it are, is a positive, and Strictly is is pretty much that. You know, from the from the runners who make your cup of tea, from the guys who drive you to the studio, the pro dancers, obviously, the production team, all the other celebrities. It's brilliant. It's an absolutely amazing experience, and like I, I. I'd never, I would never have courted it, but um, when I got asked to do it, that I've got plenty of friends who've done it, and um, all of them said, just do it. And I said, but I can't, that's it, doesn't matter, because the experience is just brilliant, and you're so far out of your comfort zone. I think that's the thing, you know, yeah. the older we get, then the less likely we are to step outside that comfort zone. And strictly puts you right in that absolute terror arena. And I, 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 the, for the first dance I did, I did the Paso Doble and the start of it is I'm standing on a box on my own and my dance partner, Karen, is kind of at the other end of the studio floor. And, and so I'm dancing the Paso Doble, Simon Rimmer and Karen here. And, and you're, you cannot hear the band because your heart is genuinely <laughs> pounding through your, through your ridiculous costume. And at that point, I really reckon that if somebody came up to you and said, listen, Simon, you don't have to do this. Put your coat on. Get off the bus. There's a car waiting outside. I would have taken that. It is one of the most terrifying moments of life. But I loved it. Every minute of it was was brilliant. It was it was fantastic. And they did such a great job in 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 this really strange time. And obviously, like they they also dealt with a tear change because they had they had a small audience and then that audience disappeared, and then it was just production staff. But I really felt for them that they didn't have so many of the experiences that you guys did of just that moment yeah. where you get it right and yeah. the crowd just loses their shit. Yeah. And, and I think also just, that, again, I think one of the things full stop in, in kind of in COVID times is that um, human interaction. You know, at the end of the day, it's a it's a it's a happy, smiley jazz hands kind of environment. You just spend your entire time hugging each other you know, with joy and not being able to do that, I think is really tough. And then things like on the on the Friday night. So what, what happens on the Friday, you do your first rehearsals in the studio with a band. 
and it's always effort Friday is what it's known as when you when you're kind of doing it. And then on that night, the vast majority of people then stay in stay in a hotel near to the studio. Then you all have dinner together, and you kind of like you know you take the Mickey out of each other about what's going on during the day. You swap your war stories for the week, and it's so brilliant. Of course. They weren't allowed to do that this year. And I think just that, I think they missed out. But it was a brilliant series, you know, and I think Bill Bailey winning it was just fantastic. You know, as an old man myself, seeing somebody of Bill's age win it was was just (laughs) out of this world. I want to talk about something that we've, we've touched on in the show already, but I guess I want to talk about what I think are the two diametric pandemic experience I think you've had because on the one hand I switch on channel four on Sundays and there you are a comforting reassuring presence that the world isn't actually so different (laughs) and even during the early days of the pandemic you actually managed to broadcast Sunday brunch live from your own kitchen and Tim did so from I guess would you call that a living room? It was honestly hard to tell from his interior design choices. Uh, yeah, because well, I, I, in fact, I'm sitting in that exact same seat where we broadcast from. Yeah, and, and then Tim, Tim did his in his. He was in his front room most of the time, and then sometimes he was in his sort of kitchen diner area. So yeah, he he moved around a little bit. I didn't have that luxury because you know this this were. But funnily enough, though, since because we did the shows from home and I sat in the kitchen, obviously. It has now become my my workspace. So yeah. when I knew I was doing this with, with you today, then this is where I work. I don't like doing anywhere else because this now feels like this now feels like my office as well yeah. as, as well as the kitchen. Um, but we we were lucky that we managed to stay on a and like you know hats off to the all the the technical guys who got us broadcasting from our houses. I mean it was it was it was hard work, but it was great to stay on air. It was it was really great. But it was joyous when we went back into the studio. We were like little lambs skipping in the spring that we were, you know, in, in, in a proper studio with proper cameras and not having to kind of like see, oh, internet's failed again, right, we'll have to cut there. Because we didn't record live when we were at home because we, we couldn't trust the technology or yeah. even the technology, we couldn't trust anybody's internet connection enough to to be able to do it. What was it like broadcasting during those early days of the pandemic, though? Because I guess you almost had that quaint essential pandemic experience where you've been doing a job for so many years, probably down to an absolute T and then suddenly everything changes and you're literally broadcasting from your kitchen. It was really exciting. Actually. I I, I felt that, um, I think we were, we were quite fortunate because we are quite a, a laconic laid back show anyway then I don't think, because we're not a shiny floor show and we don't have a live studio audience, then it meant that we could really carry on being as as stumblingly inadequate as we normally are on kind of on, on live TV. Whereas if you're something like the Graham Norton show or Jonathan Ross, it's used to a live studio audience, then you felt that they missed out on a lot really. Which I think we were kind of quite fortunate. The thing that blew me away was the amount of kind of, love and warmth that, that we got. People saying, oh, it's so great that you're on air. It's really great that, you know, you're still making us laugh on a Sunday morning. And it, and it was, it felt like, uh, it, you know, don't get the wrong, our job isn't important. You know, we're, we're not kind of saving lives, but it felt like, you know, for the first time, the show had a, had a value in terms of people going, I want normality. 
here's that little bit of normality. It's still Tim and Simon talking crap to each other for kind of three hours. And, you know, it, it, it felt it felt like a good thing. And I think also the, the show has come out the other side of it, feeling that it's moved yeah. on as well. Did you ever have any hesitation about inviting people to, into your home? You know, people suddenly looking at your kitchen drawers going, oh, I wouldn't, wouldn't pick those. Um, a little bit, if only for the fact that when we filmed from here, I was, I was actually waiting for new kitchen equipment. Um, <laughs> so all the stuff that was in, I would get comments going, God, I can't believe he's got a crappy little electric cooker. It's because I was waiting for a swanky Italian, uh, Italian um, induction hob. That because of because of the pandemic, the factory shut down, so couldn't get it. So I was almost sort of thinking, oh god, you know, I, I thinking I can't believe that's all he's got. Um, but it was all right. I mean, you know, it's it's actually quite a nice kitchen. It's quite a nice kitchen to to, to broadcast from. So so it was all right. I don't think I don't think it'd want anybody else in the rest of the house. But obviously, the yeah. kitchen is sort of you know <laughs> I spend so much of my time in here anyway. But as you say, Sunday brunch did eventually come back to the studio in a COVID safe way. But I suppose Sunday Brunch has changed now quite fundamentally because you obviously have less physical guests and you're obviously doing more of these kind of conversations over video chat like we're doing today. What were the challenges coming back and trying to work out what the show is now? It's been interesting though because the good thing about the video chat is all of a sudden then you become global you know, mm. we, we've had so many people that we've interviewed, um, you know, in the States on, on a regular basis because we have a lot of music on the show. Uh, you know, for example, last weekend we had Adam Lambert on the show. So, you know, Adam Lambert's there in Los Angeles looking really, really cool. Uh, and then, you know, we, we've had people from all over all over the world. We've interviewed Kylie. And that's actually been quite nice that you, you don't need to do it. And already we're talking about continuing that no matter what. Um, for example, things like the drinks items and the, and the guest chef items already were investigating. Well, you know, we could we could do a chef in the States or we could do a bartender in Australia. It's kind of quite nice that in some respects it's, it's open doors as well as kind of closing them. So TV work on the whole, as normal as it could have been in these strange times that we're all living in. But as we've talked about earlier in the show, you're also a very successful restaurateur. And this has been the most disruptive time the restaurant industry has ever experienced. And it's something your industry, at least, could never have prepared for. Some of your premises are also in Manchester and Liverpool, which have felt restrictions harder than most. Obviously, all of this is still ongoing and this story evolves daily. But what has this all been like? Oh, hideous. Um, our biggest site uh, is this site called Albert Schloss in the middle of Manchester. Mm. Um, and Albert Schloss is a, is a huge, big venue. It's a big kind of based on kind of big old German beer kellers. Uh, we have live music and live entertainment seven nights a week. Uh, it's a big, packed, busy bar. We have a live music venue upstairs. Uh, main hours of our trade are 10 at night till two in the morning. So every single one of those descriptions is taken away from you. So that site uh, in since the start of the pandemic is down 87% on turnover. Wow. Uh, and, it's, and it's a big, big, busy site that turns over a lot of money. So that's been really hard you know that's been really really tough um and then we have a we have a pizza brand called rudy's and we've got six of those they've actually functioned okay uh doing just takeaway yeah okay in terms of they're stemming the wave of losses rather than kind of contributing to them really so that's kind of been okay um and you just 
feel that the joy and love that I have for my industry has been snatched away and not been able to kind of not been able to to, to function that way. And it, it transcends above kind of finances. You know, we're a, we're a relatively yeah. strong business. I'm not saying we're indestructible, uh, but we were in a very good place uh, before the pandemic struck. Um, so there's 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 revenue there. There there are, there are savings, if you like, there that will kind of keep us going for a certain amount of time and, and the government has kind of, you know, added some, some quite good support mechanisms in terms of finance to our industry. Um, but it, I mentioned at the very start, I think people losing their jobs has been very hard to take. Um, and just knowing that people who have worked for you for an amount of time, having to let them go has been really, yeah. really, really tough. Um, and, I don't know what the other side of the industry looks like as well. So, you know, whilst we sit in the situation where you go every week and going past the sites that are closed is quite heartbreaking. You know, the same with anybody's business. It's not just my business. It's not just me. You know, whatever your business is, if you if your premises are closed and you don't have the people and that, and that whole kind of beautiful kind of business that you had it isn't functioning – it's very, very hard to take. And on one hand, as the kind of, you know, as, as one of the owners of the business, then you've got to stay upbeat and positive, say, yeah, everything will be okay. Where in reality, you're sitting there going, wow, you know, this is this is our dream. This is our baby. And, yeah. and it, it can't actually function. Uh, and equally, you look at those numbers every week that aren't happening and you look at projections that are made. You know, when you, when you reach a business that's the, the, the scale of ours, then yes, it's still about, the excitement of what the brand is, how we function. But there's also, there's a lot of number crunching, you know, no two ways about it. And you look at all those numbers and go, nope, 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 no. And you look at all the red in terms of kind of like where those figures are. And it, it, yeah, it's it's tough. And it, and it will continue to be tough for two years, I would say, definitely. And this was an industry that was hit so hard. And yet it was so inspiring in the summer when Marcus Rashford was leading this call to arms on free school meals. And the places that answered that call first was the hospitality industry. And it sort of shows that these places aren't just bars and restaurants, that they're as much community hubs as anything. Yeah, I, I think that's a really, really good point. I think that... Um people's appreciation of the hospitality industry. I don't mean, and so it should. I just want to think that we've all sort of gone, well, you know what? How much time do I spend? Like, like for example, if we weren't in COVID times, probably we would do this in a studio somewhere, then you and I would go and have a pint, go and have something to eat. And that yeah. whole thing, that hospitality is the is that core through everything that we do. And I, I think when the whole eat out to help out thing happened, everyone was so excited about being able to do it. And I think that that's what everybody is is missing so much. But you're right, the whole amazing work that Marcus Rashford did and is still doing. Then the hospitality industry said, "Yeah, well, you know, we're on board with that. Let, let, let's kind of do it." You know, I think that there's been some great things that have that have happened through hospitality, definitely. It's obviously tough to say because, you know, we are at a point where restaurants and bars are still closed, as is the entire hospitality industry. And we still don't know for how long. But how do we go about picking up the industry again when we're allowed to? I think it'll happen really quickly. Um, I think that because it's already in a position, every single venue that's shut is pretty much COVID friendly. So yeah. if you think if you just backtrack and go, okay, well before oops, well before lockdown, this is how we operated. We could open the doors if not tomorrow, give it a week to get stock together, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We could open again. And then you hope that as long as it's a one-way trajectory, 
that you go, okay, well then, okay, at the moment we're on two meter distancing. Now it could be one meter distancing. We could bring four more tables and we can employ somebody else here. I think it will happen really quickly. And I think the appetite for it um, is there. You know, you know yourself, the minute that you can go out for something to eat with your other half, you are there. You are absolutely in a out. blink of an eye, Simon. Yeah, and 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 <laughs> and, and everybody, of course, is, is planning where they're going to go. I'm sure you know, right? Okay, right. First place where we're going to go. What am I going to drink? What we're going to eat? Where we're going to be? Let's book a table. Can we do that? And I think that 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 is the reality. That the industry, I think, will 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 gain momentum really, really quickly. But I think that because it's in a, in a good place, it will hopefully be allowed to do it safely. Um, and I would hope as well that every other sector of society has to do the same thing education retail that the the restrictions are kind of put in place to enable people to open things safely so we don't have the short-term fix of everything's great for two months and up fingers are spiked again we're back into lockdown we have to find a way of not constantly going open close open close open close because that's no way to, to run any society and is there anything that we can do to help places that we love right now yeah i mean the, the, the thing that's been incredible is the number of people who still to this day are buying vouchers for our restaurants you know so they'll go right okay you know what i, I want you guys to be there when i'm open so i'm gonna i'm gonna buy a 50 pound voucher um you know so there's kind of some revenue coming in and it does really really help i think also like anything it isn't always necessarily about kind of finance i think that if your if your favorite restaurant is is on social media just send a tweet send a text send an instagram message whatever just say can't wait for you guys to be open really miss it well i think that, that whole thing that we all crave as human beings you know, something social media is all about kind of like you know feeling great because somebody actually acknowledged you exist i think just things like that make a really really big difference and you touched on before sorry, about the, the fact of shopping locally i think is another thing outside of hospitality i think hospitality is more than just me and restaurants and bars it's about that supply chain you know, your little independent brewers who are there going, well, I've thrown away gallons upon gallons of beer. I don't want to start brewing any more beer. I don't brew any beer. I can't make any money, blah, blah, blah. So looking at saying, okay, well, who have I got locally? Who can I do that? Where's my farm shop? What can I do about where am I going to buy my fruit and veg from? I mean, you know, all of those things that are almost becoming smaller and smaller. But And the signs are that that's happening. You know, it's reckoned that most of the suburbs are actually doing pretty well you know they're actually doing fine. the city centers are the ones who it's just it's like a zombie apocalypse has happened i have to finish up simon by finding out what tv shows have been keeping you going what what, what have you been loving on telly simon my viewing habits have changed um mm. lockdown to lockdown on the first one i did tiger king which i think is one of the best bits of telly ever uh i binged on ozark i re-watched all of the wire which i love so they were my sort of three biggies on that yeah this time i found that i've i've turned away from kind of binge watching i want uh, individual components. So, okay, so my, my trashy go-tos, um, I love uh, Bangers and Cash. Um, oh, on what's that? Oh, Bangers and Cash is brilliant. It's about a fantastic um, classic car auction uh, company in Yorkshire, and it follows the story of some of the cars they get. It's proper, lovely, slow, gentle viewing. Uh, oh, that sounds beautiful. That. Uh, I'm loving the fact that Grand Designs is back on because uh, Kevin McLeod is one of my favourite broadcasters. Um, and I've 
I've been binging on Law and Order Special Victims Unit because, <laughs> because I love it and they're standalone episodes and Ice Tea is very, very cool in it. Uh, and that, on this second one, that's a done. Plus, I've watched so much football, I cannot believe it. You've obviously mentioned football just there. Do you have any predictions for the season? I should point out that we are recording this just before Liverpool play Burnley. But do you have any predictions where Liverpool are going to finish this season? Uh, (laughs) If you'd asked me on Christmas Day, I would have said we're going to win the league. Today, I can't decide if it might be second, but I still think that... The second half of the season, I think, will come good again. I, you know what? I, I've got to say we're going to win the league. I say it every season, we're going to win the league. Simon, I don't think I can end this podcast on a better note than Liverpool winning the league. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. Pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. I really want to thank Simon for that episode. It's been my ambition on this podcast from day one to have different voices and different industries as well and to hear about some of the realities facing the hospitality sector with such searing honesty from Simon. It was a really sobering experience. If you can, please support your local places in whatever way you can because right now they really do need our help. If you want to hear more from Simon, and of course you do, he's a Liverpool fan, and we should always hear from Liverpool fans. He also has a brilliant podcast and it's called Grilling and that has some great guests from the world of food. Do check that out on wherever you get your podcasts. Just before we go today, I have to say the response to the Callum Scott Howells episode of the podcast was simply unreal. It was officially our most listened to episode of the podcast so far. We hit 26 in the podcast charts, which is just nuts. It's our highest entry ever. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, please do go and check it out. I honestly mean it. It is a slice of joy. Please continue to spread the word about this podcast. And if you're new, please subscribe to get these episodes first. The next episode will be dropping again in two weeks time on Tuesday, the 23rd of February. That's it from me. Thank you again for listening. But until the next time, please stay indoors.